0: Hello and welcome back to the Kevin Segura podcast. My name is Kevin Segura and this is my podcast. This is also the first podcast that's being recorded on video. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it'll also be uploaded to YouTube in full and in clips around the internet as well. But anyways, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, uh, Before we get into it, let me set up a little bit about what we're doing today. You've read the title, we're reading about Matthew, um, or we're looking at the genealogy of that begins the the gospel according to Matthew. Um, but the way that we're going to engage the text is, um, as a story, which is like how I've been influenced. I've been influenced heavily by the Bible project, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I've just been so shaped by that. Like I I, like for a number of reasons. Um, for, I think probably first and foremost, like the biggest reason is I, I think I have found this story to be compelling. Um, like, like hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll understand why, but um, just right here up front at the beginning, like, I have found this story to be compelling, and it's not the story that is usually told. I think the story that most kind of Western, modern American Christians, um, and the way that most people think the story of Christianity goes, even non-Christians, outsiders looking in, as it were, um, is one of, like... God made the world and it was great. And then humans drove it into the ground and like raw messed up. Um, but Jesus, he's cool. And so like, you can believe in him, whatever that means. And if you believe in him, you get to go to heaven when you die. And if you don't believe in him, then you burn in hell when you die. And that's the story that we all, that like just in popular American culture, that's the, I think the story that is told and people think that that's what we believe. And I have come to understand, um, that that is not the way that the story goes. It is something in the story is infinitely more profound and a story that I have found compelling enough for me to like thoughtfully like f- try to follow, like follow Jesus, you know, like I don't follow, I don't like, I am I would consider myself a follower of Jesus. Hi, I'm a Christian. Like, you know, like that's part of me, but I don't do it just because like I'm supposed to, or like I grew up in the church or like any of these reasons, you know, because like influences around me, like, I've actually kind of thought my way through this and like, like consciously, I've been like, this is worth following for a good reason. And, um, but I think most people don't come to that conclusion because like, (laughs) because that's not how we're introduced to it. And so we're going to be engaging this text as a story, as a narrative, because that's at the very least what the Bible is. It's a book, is it not? And do books not tell stories? And so, um, I have come to engage it in this way and I have found it compelling and worth Spending time with, at the very least, and I hope by the end of this, you'll come away with <laughs> at least the di- at the very least a different perspective and um, a more profound understanding of what this book is, what it's for, and what it's trying to do. And um, it has some profound things to say, and it's truly amazing. But um, yeah, so with that said, let's go ahead and get into it. Again, we're going to be looking in at uh, we're going to. S- today be looking at the gospel according to matthew specifically the first half of the first chapter um and yeah i guess i guess we'll just get into it um and then we're gonna zoom out i'll give us some context put it into the biblical narrative and then we'll see the significance of of what this is doing um well i guess here first of all like what are we doing <laughs> you know the like what is this book again as a story like the Bible's a book And I think we often forget the implications of what it means for something to be a book, especially when it comes to any kind of religious literature. Um, Like, what it means for something to be a book means that it was written in a time and a place, in a cultural context, by people, with a certain way of viewing the world. And, like, it's just different from ours, you know? And so the Bible is no exception. Um, But at the very least, what it does is, again... Within this context, within this language, within this way of viewing the world, it is telling a story. And so the question is, what is this story about? And so we're about to jump in to reading the Gospel of Matthew. But like, what part of the story are we in? Like if you just open up to the book, and by the way, if you don't know where the gospel of Matthew is, that's fine. <laughs> um, the beginning of your Bible has a table of contents. Don't know if you knew that, but it's there. And so you can open up to the beginning and see and just scroll and like run your finger through and be like, oh, these are all the books kind of in order, you know, um, another conversation for another time about that ordering. But um, like you can, there's a table of contents. And so like, even if you just open up to the book of Matthew or open to the table of contents, you can see like we're more than halfway through this book. We're we're beginning. We're we're opening the pages of this more than halfway through this book, and so a helpful analogy that I've come to to use a lot <laughs> um, for helping us understand this is thinking of the Bible as a movie trilogy or a trilogy of trilogies, even or a book series, whatever you whatever you like. Like ideal, like no one starts. No one in their right mind starts watching a show or watching a series, watching a movie halfway through you know (laughs) like you don't like you you start at the beginning you work your way through to the middle and then you finish at the end you know like that's how we tell stories Um, like nobody starts on watching a movie trilogy by starting on the third movie you know (laughs) because like or at least like if you are going to do that you should like maybe watch the first watch like the trailers at least to the first two movies you know or like ask a friend who like has seen them and be like can you give me a synopsis or something you know Um, and so that's exactly what we're doing. And that's a helpful analogy that I found to use for the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, which is kind of how this Bible, how modern Bibles are kind of broken down. You can see that in your table of contents. It's broken down into two main sections, which is the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is stories of like the Exodus from Egypt and Moses, um, David and Goliath, these kinds of things. The New Testament is, um the biographies of is where you'll find the biographies of Jesus and the stories of his followers carrying forward his mission, I suppose. Um, and so it's kind of broken down into these big sections. And the, the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament, I've heard recently people, I guess, being confused about it and not really understanding how they fit together. Because they're like, oh, well, we have Jesus in the New Testament. So, like, we don't really need the Old Testament, right? Because, like, Jesus, he kind of fulfilled it. And so, like, what do we need the old one for? And, like, the old one's ancient like it's literally called the old Testament, you know, (laughs) and it's like really old, but Jesus and this stuff, it's like newer. It's more recent as far as like the history of this goes. And so like, do we really need the old Testament and like this kind of conversation. And I think that's unfortunate for a couple of reasons. Firstly, being that biblical author, like the biblical authors of the new Testament, like everyone who's writing, they are constantly quoting and referring back to the old Testament. And like, if you want to understand what these people are saying, you ought to at least be curious about the where it is that they're quoting from in order to understand what it is that they're saying, you know? Like, that just makes sense. Like, if you don't get the reference, like, we're not communicating well, you know? Um, and so, f- so for that reason. But then also, again, as a movie trilogy, thinking about it in this way, we're starting by opening up the pages to the beginning of the third movie of this trilogy. And so we're starting, like kind of towards the end, we're missing the whole first half, like, more than the first half of this narrative. Like, we don't know where we are, where, what the story, who these characters are, what the story has, what has happened in the story up until this point to get us to where we are now, and the direction in which this story is going. And so if we don't take time to to understand the first part of the movie, right? Again, if you don't at least watch the trailer to the first two movies, or read the synopsis on the back of the first two books... Um, like you can watch the final movie and you can read the final book and it will have its own plot and you can enjoy it on its own. But the events that are happening in it, the significance of them, it's like, it's going, your understanding of it is going to be impoverished and you're not, because you're not seeing how it fits into this grander narrative. That is the entire trilogy. That is the entire storyline of the Bible. And so um, like, that's just an important thing to say. Like we are jumping into the middle of the story, (laughs) we ought to want to take some time to understand the first, like what has come before this in the narrative. And so that's what we're going to do. But first of all, we're going to um, look at the first line of the gospel according to Matthew and see where that takes us. So here we go. The gospel according to Matthew um, or the gospel of Matthew, the first line starts like this. This is the genealogy, or you may have, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what this what this first line is? It's like a it's like an introduction line. It's about it's telling you what it is that you're about to read. Um, also, what we're going to look at it here in a little bit. But the first line of the entire Bible it's a like a paraphrase of the chapter that you're about to read. It goes in the beginning, God made the heavens and the land, the skies and the land, and so the following narrative is God creating the skies and the land. You know, and so right here you're introduced with this is the genealogy or this is the book of the genealogy of the of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham. And so like half of the rest of this chapter is a genealogy <laughs> which I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever read a genealogy or like 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 I don't like this isn't exactly leisure reading, you know? Like this isn't riveting content. Um and the Bible is, has like there's a genealogy sprinkled throughout the entire Bible and they're notoriously difficult to read. I don't know if you've ever tried reading the Bible like in a year or done any of these reading challenges, but like these are notoriously difficult (laughs) for readers to get through for a number of reasons. Namely, like it's just so repetitive and like you're just like, why is this here? Like, who cares? You know, and like it's very repetitive. It's the exact same phrases over and over. And also like you're just like, who are these people? I can't even pronounce half of these names. (laughs) Like, I don't know who these people are and I don't know how to pronounce their names. And that's, again, because it's a different, like, it's a different language and it's a different cultural context. And so, like, they're difficult to get through and we just don't understand why they're there. And, like, it's difficult. Um, And so, if you, I don't know how you would go about telling the story, but, like, if you were to tell the story of Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world... I don't know that we would start the story off with a genealogy, <laughs> you know, tracing back to like the beginning of time, practically, you know, like I, that's not how we would tell this, go about telling the story. But the author of this book, the gospel of Matthew written by Matthew, um, who does feature in this story, he um, chose to, to start this book telling you about the savior of the world, Jesus, the Messiah with a genealogy. And so, I think we should ask the question, why, (laughs) you know, like, what is wrong with you? First of all, like, why would you do that? (laughs) So why would you do that? This is very intentional. This is like, again, this is not by accident. You know, he wasn't just like, I don't know, I'm just going to troll all future readers of this book. That's not what he's doing. You know, (laughs) he, like, this is very deliberate, but so, okay. So again, in, in, uh, and trying to understand it as a, as a grand narrative. What he is doing here is he is masterfully crafting this genealogy to tie in. He's connecting the story of Jesus, what you're about to read in the rest of this book. He's connecting that to the entire rest of the Old Testament. The entire rest of the story that has come before. Everything that has gotten up led us up until this moment. And so he's connecting that story and tying it up into the person of Jesus and how he is carrying that story forward, but he's doing it in terms of genealogy. And that's not intuitive to us, but we're about to see, I'm about to walk us through the old Testament story in like 10 minutes, try to keep it concise, but he's about to, he's walking us through the old Testament story, seeing how it comes together in the person of Jesus and how he is carrying this story forward. And so He does it by highlighting a couple of guys. You'll, again, you'll notice this if you read it. And again, he tells you this, like just straight up in the first line. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so David and Abraham, this David, he is the same David as the David and Goliath story. Same dude. Great guy. You know, there's a song about him, David and Bathsheba. Hallelujah. That song's about him. (laughs) You know, Um, you may have heard of him. And so he also highlights Abraham. Um, you may know, I don't know if you know a thing two about him. You probably know somebody named Abraham, you know, you may know that there's Abrahamic religions, which are like Judaism and Islam and Christianity. And you're like, okay, I guess there's something tied to that. But like, how, but like, why does he highlight them? Like, I guess they're important, you know, but like, again, he did this intentionally, why are these people there? Like why did he choose to highlight them? Like it's not just cuz they were great guys, which is kind of up for debate. You know, like they like some of them like did some cool things, but like also they had, especially Abraham, he was kind of sus. Um, <laughs> but it's like why did he ha- choose to highlight these people? He chose to highlight them because they are very key characters. They are they represent key moments in the biblical narrative as of turning points in the biblical narrative that are very significant for how this story goes and where it is going. And so in order to understand this, we have to zoom all the way out to get the big picture, to get the, the puzzle, to get the cover on the puzzle box for how this, this piece fits into the rest of the biblical narrative, into this grand mosaic that is this beautiful work of art. And so let's zoom all the way out and get our bearings. Um, and in order to understand any good movie, any good story, it's very important that you get the beginning right. And so, like, stories start in the beginning. <laughs> like, you know, that, that, that's, where, that's where stories start. And this Bible, this book starts exactly the same way. It starts like that in the beginning, with God creating the heavens and the earth, with Him creating the skies and the land. And so, to paint this big picture, we have, we're introduced on pages one and two of this book of the Bible with this deity, this God who is creating this world and it is good and it is abundant. And he's creating, he's depicted as creating this temple in which he is going to, to live. Like this is his habitation. He lives here, you know, like he's making, he's making his crib basically, but he's also creating this kingdom in which he's going to reign and rule and govern. And so like, it's, and it's awesome. And it's like, great. And there's like fruit trees and there's a garden and like it's order out of chaos and beauty and like sunsets and like, it's beautiful, you know, and it's awesome. And, like, there's deer and birds. (laughs) And so to top it all off, the cherry on top, he creates humanity. And now you have the two main characters of this whole book. You have God and humanity. And humanity is introduced as the images of God. That is to say they are representatives of this God to creation. And so they're, like, given authority to do the thing that God has been doing in the rest of the—in the narrative that has— that has preceded this their creation that is creating beauty and creating life and bringing order out of chaos and like just think about it like this place that he made it's so packed full of potential and like beauty and awesomeness and like take it somewhere like that's what it means to be human it's like we have like we uniquely have this ability to make this place something like awesome you know like if trees will like grow and like grass will grow and like fruit will grow on them naturally. But like human beings, we can make gardens and orchards and like feed a bunch of people and like make cities and engineer cool stuff. And like, we can just make things and make this place go somewhere. Awesome. Um, and so the biblical vocabulary that the authors have is using the, the vocabulary of the image of God. Um, and it's a profound idea. Um, and so, again big picture we have humanity and god this story is involving these two characters and it's great it's great it's paradise as it were and so this unfortunately only lasts for literally two pages (laughs) on page three it starts going downhill but notice how this story starts it's like cosmic it's god and the world and god in all of humanity um this is also highlighted in the story of the tower of babel or the story of the tower of babylon as well um which is synonymous Uh, in case you didn't know that i'm throwing that in there um (laughs) it's highlighted that it's a story of god in all of creation god in all of humanity and we are called to co-rule to co like as rulers god says be fruitful and multiply rule the earth we are called to rule alongside god in his creation in this unity of heaven and earth and like take it somewhere and like do cool stuff you know like this is what we are here for and this is the place in which the story begins the setting and the characters and this is the cast um, and so it begins again, God and all of humanity and it goes downhill and basically the relationship falls apart. His co-rulers, which is us, humanity, we like drive it into the ground and God's like, we got to start over. We got like, and so the question is, how is God going to reconcile this? How is he going to restore this creation? What is his plan Like, what's he going to do about it? You know, like we've driven this place into the ground in some sense, you know, just think of like how many wars have happened throughout the history of this place and like all these other things that we do to each other. Like we've driven it into the ground in some sense. And so the question is, what is God going to do about it? And so the next key, very important, the next key turning point in the biblical narrative is Genesis chapter 12. You can flip there with me now if you are following along, but Genesis chapter 12, you're introduced to this guy called Abram, who will later be called Abraham. And what happens here is God says he ta- He takes this basically nobody as is very characteristic of God taking nobodies and lifting them up to, to be like somebody's as it were. Think of Mary and Joseph um, think of Abraham think of Mo- David, the story of David, which again, we're going to get to here in a little bit. And so God's response to the, to the, human catastrophe is he's going to start over. He's going, how is he going to restore this relationship between God and humanity? He takes this nobody. And he says, I will, I'm going to make you a great nation from you. Like you're going to be fruitful and multiply and I'm going to bless you. But why am I going to do this? This is the vocabulary. I'm just going to read it to you. This is Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse two. It says, God, this is God talking to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And, uh, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And so like, you can see it there. Why am I, why am I blessing you? It's not just because like, I like you and you're special and like, (laughs) you know, like that's like, he's a a nobody as it were, within the, the narrative context. Like, He's not special. He's not like a king of anybody, of anything. Like he's a nobody. He doesn't have a land, you know? And so why am I doing this for you? It is so that you will be a blessing to others. I am blessing you so that through you, the nations will be blessed. And this is the vocabulary that is used again to talk about God and the whole world, God and the nations, God and all of humanity. Um, How is God going to restore this relationship? He is going to do it through this people, the people of Israel. And so Genesis chapter 12 is this interesting moment where the entire storyline of the Bible breaks off from this massive subplot. Again, I've been being very repetitive of God and the nations, God and all of humanity. And it breaks off into this subplot that becomes the rest of the Hebrew Bible or the old Testament. And, um, it becomes this story about God and the nation of Israel and that struggle. But all the while, like there are threads that you can trace from the beginning of this story all the way through that are connecting it saying this again, remember the reason for why I created you so that you can through you, the relationship between God and all of humanity is going to be restored. The nation of Israel is only a subplot in this narrative. Now it is the entire like old Testament basically, but again, for what purpose why does the nation of Israel exist? According right here to the founding like of their people, it is so that they will be a blessing. And this thread again is traced from beginning to end, and so that's important. The way God is going about rescuing the world, like His rescue mission, starts here by lifting up nobodies into somebody's so that they will be. He's going to bless them so that they will be a blessing to others, and so that's important. And then you fast forward. Uh, later in Genesis, um, I forget where. I think it's in the 40s, like chapters 40s. Uh, toward like towards the end of the book, I think it might be 48 or something. I don't know. But basically, he blesses. Um, he's basically carries on this promise to um this guy named Judah, who is a descendant of Abraham. And he says, through you, from uh like from your family is going to come, um a king. A king is going to come from your lineage, and he is going to. S- to be, like, he is going to save your my people. He is going to carry forward this story of redeeming God and the nations through the nation of Israel. And so you have this descendant of Abraham who is from the nation of Israel, who is Judah, a son of his, a, a uh, what's it called? Yeah, a descendant of his, again. The story is going to come through through that person. And so you fast forward many, many pages and you get to this guy called David, um, we are very familiar with the story of David and Goliath. um, I think there's a lot more to be said about that story, but we we've at least heard of him, you know, David and Goliath. His story is that he became king of Israel, and wouldn't you know it? He is a descendant of Judah, he comes from the line of Judah, who comes from the line of Abraham, and so you're like, okay, cool we got a, we got a guy who's like checking all the boxes, you know like he's a great guy too, you know, like he's humble and he like he trusts God and he's a son of Abraham, a descendant of Judah. He's the guy we've been looking for. He's the guy who's going to like fulfill this story and like restore this narrative of God in the nations. And like, he does a great job for like a lot of it, but like he has a real big screw up um, to say the least. Um, if you know the song, hallelujah famous from Shrek, um, that song's about his, um, his mistakes, I suppose, <laughs> which is unfortunate. And so you're like this guy, David, he's going to be the King who is going to restore this. And it turns out he's not. And so you're like, well, that's unfortunate. But the same thing, like this promise is restored to David. God shows up to David and he's like, through you, a descendant will come from your line. A son, a, a, like again, a descendant from you. This is the same thing that happened to to judah that we just talked about and abraham he says through you i will bless i will bless the nations to judah he says a descendant will come from your line he is going to continue the story and so now he's continuing it with david he's restoring this promise he's saying i haven't forgotten this and this thread is continuing and so to david he says "A, a king is going to come from your lineage and he is going to carry this story forward and so like that's great cool and david he has a lot of kids if you know and solomon he's he's great. He does some good stuff, but then he also like screws up and the kingdom of Israel falls into ruin. And like long story short, you fast forward and it's just the history of the nation of Israel, getting the short end of the stick on like all of human history, (laughs) which is unfortunate, but uh, like that's part of the story, you know? And so the old Testament ends and you have this promise that has come from the beginning of God trying to restore through the nation of Israel, the relationship between God and all of humanity. And the Old Testament ends, and this promise is just left hanging because the king never comes. The Messiah, the king, the anointed one who is meant to carry the story forward, he never arrives. Like, we get all these good kings, and we get, like, mostly bad kings, but, like, David was great, and, like, we get all these leaders, and, like, they have their moments, but at some point, they all fall short. And so, like, now what? (laughs) Like, now, like this story doesn't have an ending. The story is not fulfilled yet. You know, like the Messiah hasn't come. And again, this is now we're caught up to the point where we can understand the story of Jesus, because this is the beginning of the final movie. This is the return of the king. If you're following with Lord of the Rings or this is the final movie in the trilogy. We've caught up to the main points of the first two movies. And now you can see why. Like, why does the Gospel of Matthew highlight these people? Why does he highlight David and Abraham? He highlights them because these are the key moments where God is, again, trying to restore the relationship between, all, between himself and the entire world, all of humanity, or the nations, as it's also referred to. Um, and so Jesus, he's shown through this genealogy. He's highlighted that he is a son of David. He is a descendant from David. And you're meant to recall, oh, Dave, Dave, God made this promise to David. He was like, through you, a king's going to come. He's going to be the guy. And you're like, okay, cool. So he's, high, so he's connected to this. And then he also connects it to Abraham, which is again, connecting it to the bigger picture. And so this genealogy, like, why is it here? Why are you starting this narrative about the Messiah with this genealogy? It's because the characters he's highlighting is connecting him to this story. He's saying, this is the king that we've all been waiting for. The Old Testament, it ended. The first two movies you just watched, like, it's not over yet. You know, like the story is... Like, just begging for a conclusion. Like, it it still needs to be brought forward and completed. And so the Gospel of Matthew is introducing Jesus as this king who is going to come and rule and bring the kingdom of God here on earth. And through him, everyone is going to be blessed. Like, it's not going to be limited to the nation of Israel. It's for everybody. Again, that promise to Abraham. And so that's how the book starts. The Gospel of Matthew, that's how it starts. And, um, I don't know, spoiler alert, Jesus dies, (laughs) right? Like, that's not a spoiler alert, obviously, but like fast forward, fast forward in the narrative, Jesus does some stuff, a lot of cool things happen, a lot of weird things happen, like a whole lot of questions, but we come forward to the crucifixion. And so the question is, okay, this is a story about a kingdom, right? We've seen how, how God is, is desiring to co-rule this, this kingdom with humanity and we have driven it into the ground. And so he's trying to restore it. The beginning of his rescue mission was with Abraham. And so he makes this kingdom and in order to restore this. And like we're waiting for a king, but this king never comes. And so now the story is about a kingdom. And we're awaiting this king eagerly. We're like, where? when is he going to come? And how, how is he going to unite heaven and earth? Because that's how this story started, with heaven and earth united. And so... Like this is, this is the climax. Now we're to the climax of the entire biblical narrative. The crucifixion of Jesus. Because make no mistake, every biblical author who writes about this talks about, they portray the crucifixion of Jesus as his enthronement ceremony. This is the coming of heaven on earth. And so Jesus, he's given a crown. This is his enthronement ceremony. He's given a crown, but it's not a crown of gold. It's not a royal crown. It's a crown of thorns. And he's lifted on high for everyone to hail as king of the Jews. They go, look, this is the king of the Jews. But he's not like lifted on high on a throne. It's a cross. It's a Roman frame. (laughs) I get teary eyed every freaking time. Like, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom that we've been waiting for this whole time. And this is how it's coming. (laughs) Every biblical author portrays the crucifixion of Jesus as the coming of heaven on earth. This is how the kingdom comes here now in the person of Jesus, and this is how the King became King in the kingdom of heaven. And so, (laughs) gosh, I don't know how that lands for you, but like, I'm really trying not to cry right now. And this happens every single time I tell this story, because like, and I like, I just love doing this because I don't know what to say other than. Like, I don't know how else to respond to this story other than like, I'm in, (laughs) you know, like, like who doesn't hear the story painted in this way and go, eh, not for me, (laughs) you know, like, what are you psycho? Like, come on. (laughs) Like, who doesn't hear a story about a king who came to die for his people and like, isn't moved by that? Who doesn't go if that's the king that I get to serve like sign me up like I'll fight for that you know and these are like the superhero stories that we tell the stories of King Arthur and like Narnia and like these stories stories of sacrifice and stories of love like these are the greatest values these are the greatest ethics and so this is how the kingdom of heaven is portrayed as coming here on earth and I don't know how this lands for you again like we might hear this and be like and like kind of take it for granted because I don't know especially in America and like our culture like we kind of take it for granted because like maybe we've heard it along, like for such a long time and we're like yeah these christians are always talking about the kingdom and whatnot but like have something to compare it to let's compare it to some other kingdom pick your kingdom pick your empire whether religious or like an actual like governing body here on earth like how do you can think of of um of extremism in any world religion Christianity included like I could go to the Muslims but like let's talk about Christianity and the Crusades that happened they claim to be like this is the Holy Land this is the kingdom of heaven coming here now and in that name we are going to kill people and you can think of, again of extremism in any religion you can think of any world empire how do they how is their kingdom going to be enforced How is Putin doing it right now? How has Russia done it? How has China done it? The Mongolians, even the Americans, any pick your century of human civilization, pick your governing body, the Romans, whatever empire, how have they governed? How has their kingdom come? How has their kingdom exercised power? It has been through military might and at the expense of others. And so now that we have this contrast, look at how the kingdom of heaven comes. It doesn't come through military might, which is how people were expecting it to. People thought Jesus was coming to overthrow Rome. And Jesus goes to his followers when they say this to him. He goes, no, you don't get it. <laughs> Gosh, I'm about to cry, actually. Like, you don't get it. That's not the problem. Like, the problem is not humans. Humans. Like, humans killing humans is only furthering the problem. The problem is sin, as it were. Death. It's, like, death is the only real power that sin and evil holds in this world. And so, Jesus, like, how, like, again, if I'm going to rule over you, it's it's enticing to be, like, like, the only power that I can do is is, say, some kind of threat on your life. I can threaten your life in some way and therefore coerce you to, to doing what I say and and enforcing my power that way. But really, that is the only power that evil has. It's death. And so Jesus, he comes and he confronts these powers of evil and death and he hangs them on the cross. And this is just an inversion of a metaphor <laughs> that Paul picks up on. Paul uses this language. He goes, so, you know, Jesus, is uh, he's crucified to the cross. Like that's... Humiliating by every extent of the imagination. And Paul, he flips this on his head and he doesn't see Jesus hanging on the cross. He sees sin and death and the powers that be hanging up there. He grows, he, Paul reflects on this and he says, through the crucifixion, sin was crucified. Death no longer has any power because it was put to death on the cross. (laughs) Like what an inversion of a metaphor. What a flipping upside down of this. Of the crucifixion. Like, what a way to look at that. And so, like... Like, again, if that's what this kingdom looks like, like, sign me up. I'll follow Jesus. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> And, like, here's the thing. The story's not over yet. Like, this is a tragic story. Jesus wasn't the only person that the Romans crucified. I don't know, if, I don't know how much you know about history, but, like, it was, like... It was a thing that they did. (laughs) It was kind of common practice as well. And so Jesus wasn't the only person that crucified. But there's this outrageous claim that this story does not end there. That this story... Because, like, if death gets the final say, like, if that's the only... If that's how this story ends, then, like, it's not news. You know? Like, it's just the same old thing that's been happening from... (laughs) <laughs> like as far as we can remember human beings, just killing hum- human beings and this tragedy being continued. Like it's not news. It's it's not good news, especially it's like, okay, it's yesterday's news. Literally <laughs> someone else died to the Roman execution rack. It's like, I've heard that story before. And so this is a tragic story except for what happens next. And that is the resurrection Jesus is risen from the dead. And so, like... Like, I don't think that makes it any easier to believe, to be fair. <laughs> like, like that's a weird thing to believe, by like, in any century. Like, like, I don't, like, I don't know. You know, I don't think it makes it easier to believe. I don't think... <laughs> Like, I do think there is reason to believe it. Like, I don't believe this just because, like, I don't know. For whatever, like, I don't believe this. I think I do have good reason to believe this. I'm not pulling this out of my ass, as it were. Um, I do have reason to believe this, and I think it is a good reason to believe this. Um, but at the very least, like, just the idea that that is the case, again, within the narrative context of this story the story has been of one of God trying to redeem his creation, trying to restore the relationship between God and humanity. And so how is he going to do this? The climactic moment is the crucifixion and namely the resurrection. The resurrection is how we like, that's like, that's the carrying forward of the story. That is the redemption and again, I don't think like I don't think it makes it any easier to believe, but like that is the way the story goes. Heaven and earth become one in the person of Jesus, and we can hold on to that, and like carry that forward in our own lives. Um, and like not just for the sake of poetry, <laughs> and, like not just for the sake of like this is how the story like, like I think actually put yourself in within like where do you fall within the context of this grander biblical narrative what if we were to view the world in this way like again thinking back to like hero stories like we like particularly for women but like you know even guys can like do this like the story of wonder woman you know (laughs) like like no like very few women that like i don't know really any women who watched wonder woman and didn't come out of there feeling like empowered in some way you know (laughs) they were like yeah this is great like this is cool you know um crap i forgot where i was going with that <laughs> but like these are the things that we look up to and these are the stories that we tell and they shape there we go they shape the way in which we view the world and they inform us about ourselves and the in the place in which we fall into this context and so like what if we were to see the v- world in this way that this place exists because of an act of love this place exists because God didn't have to... Like, God didn't have to make any of this. But, like, he chose to. And he's... Like, it's a beautiful mind of creation. And, like, God in him just has, like, sunsets and sunrises and, like, biology and birds. And, like, <laughs> like cool stuff, you know? And we are images. We are representations of this. We are reflections of the divine. Simply by fact of being humans. Simply by fact of being human. Like... What if we were to view the world in this way? What if we were to view the world our existence in light of this story? How does that in fact affect the way that we view other humans? How does that affect the way in which we live our day to day lives? I think a proper like I think an appropriate response to that is seeing this God of abundance and generosity and taking that and us ourselves being abundant and generous, seeing a God who creates order out of chaos and I don't know, some of us are going to go and like be organizers for like wedding planners or something, you know, and just like really enjoy like organizing things. (laughs) You know, some people are like that. You know a few of them. Um, And like in whatever capacity that it happens to be, whether it's engineering and the sciences or the arts, right, and making beautiful music and poetry and writing books and stories, um, these stories do that. And so I don't necessarily... I'm not exactly asking you to like believe that Jesus is the resurrected king of the universe. <laughs> like, you know like that's a tall claim. I do think that I have grounds for believing that, but like it's a tall claim, you know However at, however, at the very least, I do invite you to live to at least try and experience the world in this way, to imagine the world in this in this grand narrative that we are get to be a part of, that we are royalty, that we are kings and queens, rulers of creation alongside god and we can like we uniquely have the potential to take this place in places that it will not go naturally like for better and for worse and that's part of what it means to be human and so like i don't know not to use the cliche of live laugh love but like live laugh love (laughs) and especially love because that is the greatest of these and so that's the story as i've come to understand it and I have found it wildly compelling. Like, again, I'll follow that Jesus. <laughs> and, like, just saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> but, like, I'll follow that Jesus. Um, and, again, this like, this is the climactic moment. Um, let's go ahead and finish the story, the rest of the New Testament. It fast-forwards telling stories about how this is, how his followers, like, live in light of this and like it's awesome the writings of paul are remarkable but in the revelation the final book there's a lot to be said about it um but at the very least how does this narrative end this grand narrative that we've been tracing from beginning to end of the bible having its culmination in the kingdom of jesus where he is crucified and enthroned as king how does it come to its conclusion the final literally like the last page of the bible (laughs) the last two pages of the bible are heaven and earth united it is the new heavens and the new earth and the making new of all things. Not not that all new things are made, but that all things are made new. Do you understand the difference? If you, I don't know, if you have something that you care about and it breaks, you could just throw it away, but like you don't, you know, like, because you care about it. So instead you fix it you put some glue on it, you try to repair it, you do whatever you can and you try to fix it. You don't just throw it away. You make it new. You don't just make a new one. And so, but like in the making of it new, like it kind of becomes a new thing, but like it's still the same thing, you know? And so this is what the res- like this is what the resurrection is. Jesus when he's risen from the dead, he still has holes in his hands from his crucifixion the marks of the old creation as it were they're not done away with like that would you can't just sweep that under the rug <laughs> it's like oh you were crucified uh, let's just uh, sweep that under the rug and do away with it you know it's like oh you died during the second world war because someone planted a bomb and like you were incinerated or you got your arm bl- blown off and you were bleeding to death let's just sweep that under the rug you know like that's not how this story ends The story ends with this world redeemed. The story began with this world. This is our home. Like, this is where we belong, on this planet, like, physically. (laughs) Like, you know? Um, And so, Paul will use the vocabulary of, uh, we are citizens of heaven. That is not to say, like, like, heaven is our home, in some sense, yes. But the way the biblical authors use heaven is not a place that you go to after you die. It is to be in communion, it is where God is, wherever God is, whether that be in the temple in Jerusalem, or whether that be in a garden by a tree, or whether that be in ourselves as an extension of of Jesus on the cross, wherever God inhabits, that is his dwelling place, that is the temple, and that is heaven, and that is like how the biblical authors refer to heaven. It's not the place that you go to after you die. It is wherever God is. And like, I mean, come on, like I can, I can get with that, you know, (laughs) like wherever God is calling that heaven and saying that that heaven lives in me, we are citizens of that, um, heirs to that as it were. Um, if we hold on to this hope for the new creation. And I think as part of that new creation, again, within the context of this story, I'm not exactly asking you to believe it though. I do like, I think as a follower of Jesus, I like inseparable to that, I think is a hope for the resurrection of the dead. So like zombies type of thing. (laughs) But like, 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 I know that's like a big claim. That's like, I'm really going deep, I guess. But I think that is an inseparable part of this story. If we have hope that this thing was created because of love. And if we believe that Jesus on the, in the ultimate sacrifice gave the ultimate sacrifice for love, that we would be united to him. I think what happened to him is a it's a foretaste of what is to come in the new creation. Jesus was the living walking new creation in the midst of the old one. And so I don't know like physically how any of this is going to happen, but like if God is God, then like I wouldn't put it past him, <laughs> you know, to like not be able to do that. <laughs> and so the Christian hope is not one of going up to heaven when we die. I think it is one of this place being redeemed and heaven coming here. And that is exactly how the old test how the New Testament ends and the conclusion of this grand narrative of heaven coming here on earth, invading this place, and us ruling alongside God and the Lamb, which is Jesus who was sacrificed. Um co ruling together here on earth. And so Jesus taught us to pray, heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Or wait, what? Uh, Heaven come on earth. (laughs) Yeah, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. That's what he taught us to pray. And so I think we can latch on to that. And, like, again, I have just found this story to be wildly compelling and I hope, again, through this, seeing the story in this way as a whole, as a grand narrative that ultimately culminates truly in the person of Jesus and not just to say it, not just because, I don't know, poetry and like, you know, but like actually seeing it. Um, I hope you walked away changed. (laughs) It gets me every single time. And so, um, I don't know how to wrap up now (laughs) other than like, amen, (laughs) you know, like amen to that. Um, And so I guess we pray to God in heaven. May your name be blessed and may your name be recognized as, as worthy and valuable and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done here. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Links down below in the show notes and the description. Um, much more, many more resources. The rabbit hole goes way deeper. Um, and yeah, that's all I'll say. All right. Bless you. May the Lord keep you. Peace.